All right, if you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 15, not Luke, Mark chapter 15. Those of you who have been coming here and understand, know what we're doing, we've been preaching since last May. Um, we're going verse by verse or passage by passage through the book of Mark. We're going to skip a little bit today and move forward because uh, I think we're still in Mark 10, getting ready to go into Mark 11. And uh, so we're going to skip up to Mark 15 because it fits what's happening here today. It's Easter. It's a great day. It's the, the most pivotal day in history. It's what Christianity is all about. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. And without the resurrection, I'd be out fishing today. Or maybe it's a little bit rough out there. I'd find something good to do. But the resurrection makes all the difference. So, if you'll follow me, we're going to kind of walk through what happened to Jesus. Mark chapter 15, the first verse says, And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him unto Pilate. This is the night after, uh, or this is the morning after the arrest the night before of Jesus. You know, he had had dinner with his, uh, the Last Supper, he had dinner with his disciples. And um, then Judas left to go betray him. And then Judas came back with a thousand soldiers and kissed them. And I love the way the Gospel of John, they go, well, where is Jesus? And Jesus said, I am that I am. And they all fell down. A thousand of them just... Shows he had the power to stop all of this. But he went for it anyway. So after a trial at the the high priest house, and it was a legal trial. They're not supposed to do that anyway under Jewish law, but they found a way to condemn him, and they have taken him, <coughs> excuse me, it's about six in the morning, and they have taken him, <coughs> and they're going to give him to Pilate. Pilate's Roman uh, governor. He's over Israel, and he's in Jerusalem because, well, it's a big holiday called the Passover, and uh, uh, everybody's there, and it's been a wild week, and it's getting ready to be wilder. So they brought him before Pilate, and verse 2 says, And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so Pilate marveled. Every gospel has a little bit different account, giving a little bit more information. But all of them agree that as Jesus was being um, tried, as he was before Pilate, he didn't say much of anything. He did answer Pilate. He said, yeah, I'm... I'm the king of the Jews. He didn't uh, not answer that. And Pilate's just kind of marveling. He's kind of like, what is going on? Now, he doesn't have the greatest uh, uh, relationship with the Jews. And by the way, when I say Jews, this is a Jewish uh, leadership. This is not the, the average person. This is the religious crowd. That's who Jesus ticked off more than anybody. If you've been here, you realize we've talked about it. Those Pharisees, those were the super righteous guys, you know. Um, they wore suits all the time. 
And they wore little things on their head and called phylacteries. And if you've ever go to Israel, you, as you're flying over, those things still happen. About the time sunrise comes up, the whole plane just goes crazy with all these people putting on robes and phylacteries and they start their prayers and they're bowing and mo going back and forth. And it's scary. <laughs> Isn't it, Charlie? And they climb all over you because they pack you in like sardines on those things. That was the, 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 the Pharisees, the, the traditionalists. They, tradition overwhelmed everything. It was over, it over, it, they don't care about scripture. We want to do our traditions. And he had just the opposite on this group too. They're called Sadducees. They were in religion for the money. I mean, they, <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? Who would be religious for money? I don't know. That doesn't happen today, does it? Doesn't happen here. I keep trying to tell my wife, we need to, she needs to do different things with her makeup and, and I'll try to get more designer suits and, and nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> no. So this religious crowd is trying to get rid of Jesus because he threatens them. He threatens their power. He threatens their money. And you know, when you threaten somebody's money, they get a little upset. So now they have him to Pilate. They want to kill him because they don't have the they don't have the means of doing that legally. Verse 6 of chapter 15, we start seeing this story changing a little. It says, Now at the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. This feast is Passover. If you go back to the Old Testament book of Exodus, you see that um, Passover is where they killed a lamb. They put the blood on the, over the top of the door and on the sides of the door. And it was the last plague while the children of Israel were in Egypt. The firstborn of every, uh, every firstborn was killed that didn't have that blood over the lintel. So this is what this, they're celebrating and everybody is there. So there's this tradition that they, he wants to let off one prisoner. And Pilate thinks he's going to do a great thing and let off Jesus. Once again, the plot thickens. Verse 7, and there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. So here we have this guy. He's a murderer and a rebellious. He's a rebellion. He's leading an insurrection against Rome. That, by the way, that's what a lot of people wanted Jesus to do. He didn't do that. And so Pilate says, well, why here? Why do I let the king of the Jews? And he does that for a couple different reasons, because it just ticks off the religious crowd, and it makes them even madder. And they stir up the crowd saying, crucify him. Crucify him. You can get a crowd going, you can really stir things up, and they did. Then Pilate, verse 14, then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more, exceedingly, crucify him. And Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. 
Mark puts everything pretty concisely. That's kind of Mark's picture. You know, he, he is writing, the audience that he is writing to in this gospel, he, he, he does everything fast. You know, you see words like straightway, immediate, forthwith, anon. These things are always happening. Mark is not a real detailed guy on, on a lot of this stuff. He's getting the message out. And he kind of skips all that happened during that scourging. Christ was tied up, stripped down. They took a whip. Different, some people say, as a cat of nine tails. The, the Roman rip, whip had two straps with nails or glass and things, and they would wrap that, or they would smack it, it'd wrap around the body and pull it off, and it'd just rip. It was awful. And Jesus got 40 of those, tore him up. And Pilate, you know, like most politicians, he didn't stand up for what was right. He stood up for what was convenient to him. He made, well, he wanted to, pacify the crowd wasn't a man of high character and the interesting thing he understood and knew that Jesus was innocent innocent of anything in fact Jesus never ever thought anything wrong he never said anything wrong he never did anything wrong he was God he is and was and always will be God's perfect son he was the innocent lamb that lamb that they slew in, uh, back in Passover was an innocent, an innocent sacrifice. And Jesus is becoming an innocent sacrifice. It gets worse for him. Verse 16 of Mark, of Mark 15. And the soldiers led him away into a hall called the Praetorium. And they called together the, the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and they did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. All these Roman soldiers, they're just mocking, they're messing with him, they're taunting him, they're making fun of him. They're humiliating him. All in fun. Creator of the universe, the innocent lamb, allowing himself to be treated this way. Verse 21, they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. Jesus couldn't bear that cross. He couldn't bear that beam, taking it to this place that we were going to call Golgotha. So a man named Simeon believed he was a black man from the area he came from, Cyrenian. Well, I think we see him again in the book of Acts. I think he became a believer here, and you see his name mentioned again in the book of Acts. And they bring him unto the place of Golgotha, which being interpreted, the place of a skull. If you go to Jerusalem today, there are two different places that are thought to be um, where Jesus was taken to be crucified. In one place, it's, it's, uh, it's called, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is there. And you would not recognize it 
as ever having a hill there or ever being, it's all been redone and, and, and uh, there's a big church there and it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's another place um, called the Garden Tomb and the Garden Tomb sits right next to a big hill and if you look at the pictures, it looks like a skull. There's a bus station there, but there's two eyes, a nose. The mouth's kind of been covered up by the bus station, but it looks like a skull. And there's another tomb, a place that they believe that was where Jesus was laid. We'll get there. Verse 23, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. That was kind of a painkiller thing. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Nine o'clock in the morning. Jesus had his time before Pilate starting at six. At nine o'clock, they nailed him to a cross. Can't probably see it from out there. These two crosses don't have any nail holes. This one has nail holes. Nine o'clock in the morning. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. You notice that this cross has a sign. It says king of the Jews. It's in Hebrew. That's the top one. You'll read it from um, right to left. Then you see Latin and you see Greek. The languages that were used. Jesus, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on the right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by rallied on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest up in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. <laughs> Boy, they're getting their payback, aren't they? He has embarrassed them. He has upturned their authority. He has proven himself to be the sons of God, the son of God by miracles after miracles. He raised the dead. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He cast out demons. He's proved himself beyond a shadow of a doubt. But they did not want to believe. Now he's on a cross. Oh, he told them. He told them that in three days, this temple, talking with his body, they thought it was the big temple. It'll be destroyed, but in three days we'll raise it up. And all of these things you see that are being talked of here were all prophesied back in the Old Testament. And if these people knew their Bible, they would recognize it. But no, their traditions overrode what the Bible said. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathai, which being interpreted as, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And some of them that stood by, and when they heard it, behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, let alone let us see whether Elias come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent twain from top to bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. As Jesus was on this cross, he experienced something he had never experienced before. He had experienced the wrath of God. God poured out all of his wrath upon Jesus while he was on that cross. It got dark. Jesus cried out for the only time ever he has, he has not experienced complete communion with God the Father. He is totally separated. All all, all of the sin of the world was placed upon him at that point in time. They sang a song a little bit about that. My sin, your sin, that kept him on that cross. He was giving, this innocent one was giving of everything he had out of love to take our penalty. Mark 15, 42, and now when evening was come because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled. If he were already dead and calling unto the centurion, he asked whether he had been, uh, um, I'm sorry, whether he had been any while dead. Here's the thing. It usually took days for Jesus. It took hours. You see, he gave up his life willingly. And when he knew of it, the centurion gave the body to Joseph and he bought fine linen, and he took him down and wrapped him in linen and laid him in, the, in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. He was laid in a tomb. A lot like this one. In fact, this is kind of modeled after the, the uh, garden tomb in Jerusalem. Uh, except in that garden tomb. I'm going to walk over here trying to get in. Hey, guys. Um, as you walk in the tomb in Jerusalem, you go back, and the, the, the counter or the slab where he would have been laid is to the side. And there's a, it's funny because there's this red thing painted up there. It's a crusader marking. So the crusaders had found it when they were there. Oh, by the way, it's still empty. 
they laid him in the tomb and they rolled a stone across. And by the way, you can just drive around um, in, in different parts of Israel and you can still see tombs with big round stones in front of them. They're still full. He was placed in that tomb. Mark 16. Now it starts getting good. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they may come to anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Many think that's about five in the morning. And they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great, and entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right, right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he saith unto him, Be not affrightened, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where he laid. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall you see him. As he said unto you, and they went quickly and they fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and they were amazed. Neither said anything to any man for they were afraid. Get a little more information in the other gospel accounts. They did go back. They did tell Peter and John and John and Peter went to the tomb. John outran Peter. <laughs> Peter's kind of messed up. John outran him okay and uh, and they got in and they looked and they went and and Jesus appeared several times there in Galilee there in Jerusalem came that night his disciples saw him he had risen see he kept teaching them that for three and a half years yet they didn't get it he got it now Jesus has risen what does that mean for you and me that means everything for you and me it means everything you see, Jesus paid for the sin on the cross, but it wouldn't have been any good to us if he didn't rise from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he'd just been another martyr hung on a Roman cross. But see, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He made a way that for you and for I to be reconciled with God, we no longer have to carry our burden. He can take it away. So this morning, I don't know if you've, I haven't really fallen this outline too much. We wanted to go through the story. Now let me get to the practical. Let me get to the application. We, you and I, must put our faith into the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, his work, he came to seek and save those that were lost. That's us. We were lost. He came to save us. That was his work. So how do we appropriate that work? Number one, we have to admit that we missed the mark. Y'all, Any of y'all shoot bow and arrows? Yeah, go ahead, raise your hand. Doug, you scare me with that. <laughs> Parker, you're even more scary. I don't know, man. How, 
let me show, tell you what this word sin means. You probably heard it. You probably think, oh, it's those bad things that we do. The term's actually an archery term. It means to miss the mark. Now, Parker, how often do you hit the center of the bullseye? Never. You know, you're not Robin Hood where you can split arrows, huh? No. Oh, man, I think that means I, I don't ever want to be around you when you're shooting. I want you to picture something. Picture Robin Hood story. You all know the Robin Hood stories? My favorite Robin Hood movie is with Errol Flynn. You know, it's really old and... and uh, and they're having the archery contest, and Robin Hood puts that arrow dead center. And another guy puts one dead center, then Robin Hood splits that arrow dead center. You see, the center of the target for God is perfection. And anything that misses that perfect, perfect spot is sin. We miss the mark. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Here's the thing, we've all missed the mark. It started with Adam. Not you, Adam. It started with the first Adam. The one in the, the garden who had some dealings with Satan. Actually, his wife started dealing with Satan while he's kind of standing there looking around, kind of complacent. Men, don't you watch your wives just protect them. Don't just watch them get in trouble. I can see him. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, Satan tricked Eve, but Adam took the fruit and ate it. What a stinking rule. You would think they could keep that they didn't. And as soon as they took that fruit, their eyes were open. Remember the fruit of knowledge of good and evil? All of a sudden, all innocence was lost. They knew they, they, knew they were naked. They knew they were wrong. They knew they missed the mark. And because Adam did that, every person since has had to deal with that problem. I've got a beautiful granddaughter you know, she's only, what, six months old? She already knows how to lie. I don't think her mother taught her that. I think it comes natural. Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means we've missed the mark. If you will, we made a mistake. Actually, some of us make mistakes and some of us just flat rebel and do what we want to do. We deal with children on this. We, we walk through this and we say, sin is anything that you think. That messes all of us up. If you, if you, anything that you say or anything that you do that displeases God. And you know, some of you could probably so good, you're so moral. You've probably never taken anything. You've probably never lied. You've probably never cussed. You were just really, really, really good people. And those of you are, that outwardly are such good people, I'd love to see what's going on in your head. <laughs> you don't want to know what's going on in my head. So that's where we all mess up. See, we all messed it up. And because of that, Jesus had to come to the cross. 
because there's a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, death, this word, this Greek word for death here, it's, it, it talks about death of the body. It also talks about the separation, whether natural or violent, of the soul in the body, by which life on earth is ended. It, it brings to this place where we are separated from God. You see, when that sin happened, when Adam sinned and when we have sinned, we inherited that and when we do these things and think these things and, and say these things that, that are against what God stands for, there's a gap. A gap. We can't be with him. That's the gap that Jesus filled with his cross. See, we have to admit that we've missed the mark. We have to understand that there's a penalty for missing that mark, and that is we can't be with God. We can't have a relationship with God, no matter how hard we try. My mom loves me. This time's bugging me. But when I was little, I think she was trying to get me to behave. She said, if you want to go to heaven, you really got to be good. Y'all heard that before? How good do you have to be? Perfect. Once I figured out that it had to be perfect, I gave up. I'm going to go be as bad as I want to be because I can't make it anyway. You see, there's nothing we can do to earn that. What we can do is receive or accept the gift from God. And what is that gift? It says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God commendeth, or he gave his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a gift for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We just got to take the gift. It is a gift. What Jesus did on that cross, him rising from the dead, through his grace, through his mercy, we don't have to pay the price for our missing the mark. He did it for us. He did it for us. There's only one thing that we need to do. We need to receive that gift. All right, let me see who can I do. There's any children in here. Isabel, I gave you a dollar last time I did this, huh? You want another dollar? Here's your gift. Giving Isabel a dollar. This is a gift. It's not hers yet, though, is it? Still mine. It's not hers till she takes it, is it? Don't spend that all in one place. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, we have to believe 
that Jesus, God's perfect son, died on a cross to take away our sin, was buried, and on the third day he rose. Romans 10 says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 16, things have gone on, and we have Apostle Paul and his partner Silas, they're in jail, and they're singing, and there's an earthquake and there's this jailer who's in charge of keeping them. And he comes running in. And he goes, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, it's a matter of believing. Putting your faith in Christ. Grab your cards. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And during this prayer, I want to give you an opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. Okay? I don't care how good you are, how bad you are, you need a Savior. That saved term, I never understood it when I was growing up. I didn't know that I was saved from the penalty of my sin. I didn't realize I was going to be saved from uh, um, <laughs> even the very presence of sin. At some point in time. That's what being saved is. He seems to save us to take away our sin and to free us to live. It comes by believing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. And then afterwards, those of you here, you may be here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Believe. Call out on him. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried, and I believe you rose again. Be my Savior. So if I pray, after I pray, I'm going to ask you to check a box. box on the back says, I am already a believer. I have believed today. I'm considering believing. I do not intend to believe. You see, we have choice. You don't have to believe. good pastor friend of mine used to pastor this church had a saying you have the power to choose but you don't have the power to choose the consequences if you're considering on believing I'd love to talk to you some more and that's why the other side with the information we don't require you to do the information if you want to put something on there that's great we'll follow up with you but I'm going to pray, and then I want you to fill out this card, and we're going to do a baptism. And while, while we're preparing for that, there's going to be some music. Today, consider the resurrection. Father, as we come this morning, cannot get over the fact that you loved us so much that you'd give your perfect son as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. Lord, uh, you're totally innocent. The totally innocent Son of God paid for all of the marks that we have missed, all of the 
sin we have committed. We're thankful for that. Then, through your power, he rose again. And we can have eternal life by believing in him. This morning, there's one here who has never believed and would like to believe now. I pray, Lord, that they will lift up to you, look up to you and say, be my savior. I believe. Lord, there's some who need more, need to know more, that need to consider some more. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage to leave us a message that we might be able to follow up. Lord, for those who don't intend to believe, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will convict their hearts and show them their need of a Savior. I am thankful for those who are here who have believed. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.